In the book of Romans chapter 8, I'm just I'm bringing out one verse this morning. In the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now in the word here, it means sons and daughters of God, and God's really not too concerned about being politically correct. Um, you're in that. You belong to him. You are a child of God. And it's a very interesting scripture because one of the things it says to me is that God still speaks. We're the children of God, and those who are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so God still speaks today. He's speaking every day. He's speaking to you and I every day. If you're his kids, you are being spoke to by the creator of the universe. Now, some of you think it's cool when you're spoke to by, you know, your boss or a businessman or, 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 you know, maybe some entertainment star, but we are spoken to by the king of kings, by the creator of the universe, speaks to us on an individual level. That's why it's hard in the book of John, near the end, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, it's hard to wrap our heads around, and definitely hard for them to wrap their heads around it, when Jesus said to them, listen, I'm going to go away for a little while, then I'm going to reappear, and after that happens, after I go to the grave, and after I'm raised up again, you will no longer have to ask me to talk to the Father, but rather you go directly to the Father to ask in my name. And so it was hard for them to take because they've been following Jesus around and everything Jesus asks happens. And all of a sudden Jesus says, listen, I'm about to do something so amazing, so miraculous that I'm about to tear the veil down out of the Holy of Holies. And you are going to be allowed in the name of Jesus to speak to the Father creator one-on-one as your father, as your father. And it's just mind-boggling. It's like we go, dad, and it's hard to imagine, but just think about that for a second. We go, Dad, and the creator of all the universe goes, yes, son, yes, daughter. We're not talking about some superstar. We're talking about God. He is so cool. And he speaks to us every day. The Bible says that we're to pray without ceasing. Now, it doesn't mean you stay on your hands and knees all day long. It means that during our days, we have continual conversation with God. And it would be ridiculous for God to say to have conversation with him if he didn't answer back, right? As a matter of fact, I'll take that one step further. God says pray without speaking, not so that he'll answer back. He's the one that told you. He initiated to talk to him in the first place. So just even me saying that the Bible says pray without ceasing, God is saying pray without ceasing. He's already initiated the conversation. And so when we go, God, we think that we're waiting for him to answer, but he already said talk to me. He already said speak to me. And so when we speak to God, he's already initiated the conversation. It's not like, oh, God, please, could you just hear my prayers? No. No, I don't like singing, talking, anything like that, because he initiated the conversation. It's like, God, we're responding. We're not initiating. Just like salvation. We think that we somehow did something to get God to finally say, okay, you. But no, he initiated salvation. And so a lot of us just spend the rest of our lives trying to keep it when it's really ridiculous. He's the one that initiated it in the first place. We get this thing backwards sometimes. And so God is speaking every day to us. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to have conversation with him. And of course, because when we read the scripture, it tells us that the Father God himself, through the Spirit of God, makes his home, dwells, lives on the very inside of us in our spirit. And so everywhere we go, God goes. He lives on the inside of us. I mean, God's everywhere. I'm not trying to be 
theologically incorrect. I'm just saying that he lives, makes his abode, makes his house on the inside of us and tells us to talk to him all day long. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It's so cool to me. The Bible says the sheep will know his voice. And so God's a speaking God that talks to us on a daily basis. And it's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be in the Word and read the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the voice of God. It is. It is the Word of God. It's his very voice. And so it's important for us to be in the Word of God daily so that we can hear him. And I'm not saying that you can't hear him when you're not reading the Word of God, but the Word of God is his voice. And I tell people all the time, if they want to be led by the Spirit, if they want to hear God's voice on the inside of them, the best thing to do is read the Word of God, because as you spend more time with his voice, you begin to recognize his voice more clearly. And that way, when all the world is speaking and the enemy is speaking and all this chaos is speaking, you know his voice outside of that voice. And I use this example all the time. If Sherry says something to me on, on, on a phone call, she could say, hey, Trent, I don't need to go, who is this? I know her voice, right? And even if you could duplicate that sound, and you know, some of you haven't heard this from me before, but even if you could reduplicate that sound on a computer, it would only take me 30 seconds to realize it's her because she answers me in a certain way. I know how she reacts. And so why is that? I've spent many, 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 many years with her that I know her. And so that's why it's important to be in the Word of God, not just to get what the Bible says, but to know the Word of God, to know who He is, so that when He speaks to you, you understand His voice because you're so used to hearing Him. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God and the Word of God cannot disagree. And so what will happen is people, you know, you might hear the voice, a voice, you will know if it's Him or not because you can reference it to what He said so many times before. Right? You getting something out of this? So he's a speaking God. Now those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The word led there is a Greek word that says ago. Now I'm not a Greek scholar and I always do a disclaimer, but the internet's so easy to find Greek scholars to explain all this stuff to me. So I, shouldn't, I should just not disclaim and then I can look really, really smart, but I know I'll pronounce a Greek word wrong or something and then it just will backfire. So I'll disclaim that I just read Greek scholar stuff. And the word led, it implies the following. It implies that you should follow and not lead. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It means that we follow the Spirit of God. We don't lead the Spirit of God. And a lot of times our prayers do that, right? It's like, God, I want this. Get into this with me. Right? No, that's not being led by the Spirit of God. That's trying to lead the Spirit of God. But we are to be led by the Spirit of God. So we are to follow his leading. Very, very, very important. Not trying to say, God, I'm going this way. Make sure that you bless this thing. We are to be led, therefore we are to follow. Anybody ever play follow the leader as a kid? I remember that. You just can't everywhere we go. That's what we're to do with the Spirit of God. Where are you going? I'm following, right? And just that should be our lives. And it's so awesome because we can trust the Spirit of God. Spirit of God says he'll lead us and guide us into all truth. Isn't that cool? He'll lead us and guide us into all truth. And we're to be truth seekers. I, I want to be a truth seeker. And so he leads us and guides us into all truth. A matter of fact, when I read this Greek scholar, he says that the Greek is actually turned around. The original language is actually turned around. It says, for as many as by the Spirit of God are being led, they are the sons of God. The Spirit already put himself first. It's like, okay, you're following me. I'm not following you. 
I'll go with you into your craziness, but if you're, I'm not, you're following me. And he leads us and guides us into all truth. He tells us things to come. He speaks to us. And so I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, another thing about the word of go, according to this Greek scholar, it says that it's a picture of a lead rope being thrown over a horse's neck. And we got 50 horses out there, so I know what I'm talking about. But if, if, you've, if you've never been involved in horses, um, you want a horse that you can just throw the lead rope over and it comes with you very easily. Now, the horse has the ability to fight it and go away, right? And we can follow it around and try to catch it and get it back, which God does you know, with us continually. But the idea is for that horse to come with us easily. Same as when we put a bit in a horse's mouth that James talks about. It talks about holding our tongues, that it's, it, the, the Holy Ghost should be a bit in our mouths. And when we go looking for a horse, when we buy a horse, we want a horse that is called soft mouth, which means when you pick up the rein, it gives to you so you don't have to yank on the horse's mouth. And we train horses that way. You want a soft mouth. You want to be able for the horse to go where your hand is going before the bit even really hits. That's what you want. And that's what God wants out of us. Being led is like, it can be very subtle. He doesn't drive like the enemy doesn't push you into things. He's like, follow me, come with me. Like Jesus, when he called his disciples, follow me, follow me. And a lot of them were like, hey, he's like, hey, you got to take up your own cross and you got to follow me. And some did and some didn't. But the idea for us as Christians to be led by the spirit of God, that's what he does. Follow me. And he puts this little thing around our neck and gives us a little nudge or a little prompting or just this knowing in our heart. And, and his voice isn't always like, Todd or Reed. It's like, come with me. Come on. These little nudges, these little, these little promptings of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he's not like the enemy. He's not like, do this. He's like, I'm God. You ought to follow me. Right? And so it's a picture of that being led with light pressure, with subtle nudges, with a still small voice, with a small knowing. And what that means is that it demands a willful action. If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, you are prompted or the rope goes over your neck, this little prompting, this little nudge, but it means that you have to respond to that nudge because he's not going to drive it. You have to respond to it. So when we're nudged, we respond. We need to be soft to the leading of the Spirit. And we all go through different seasons of our life where, where, you know, as he's teaching us new things, sometimes we're not as soft as we should be and sometimes we resist a lot. But the word implies that there's a willing action to his him saying, hey, come this way. And we say, yes. Yes, Lord, we will. Light pressure, subtle nods, willful action. Like I talked about a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, don't get me wrong. He's never going to leave you, never forsake you. It's just a lot harder on you when he's got to drag you through the situation. Isn't it? Isn't it? I've been drugged through some situations. It's a lot nicer just to follow in a nice little leading through the scenario. Now, what's very interesting about this word, according to this Greek scholar, is not only the ago means a light leading, but it is also the root of agon, which where you get agony. And so the meaning actually means that you will be led lightly, but in order for you to give a willful reaction to it or, or willfully follow, oftentimes it will cause agony in your flesh. Intense inner conflict, struggle or wrestling with the human will. 
So God will say, come with me, and we want to say, of course, we would do it. But a lot of times when he says, come with me, there is this internal struggle within our flesh to want to follow or not follow. And we know that from the very simplistic things, right? It's just like sharing the gospel. Like all of a sudden you get a prompting to, and you're in a crowd, and it's like, (coughs) right? It's like, ah. You got a few people there that you're like, I don't know if I want to do this in front of them. But you're being prompted. And so sometimes there's this struggle. Morality is like that when the Spirit of God is like, no, don't go that way tonight. Come with me. Right? I know your buddy just called, but you remember what happened last Friday night? It's like, it's what it is. But what we always have to understand is that his promptings and his wills are perfect for our lives. Perfect. He knows what's going to benefit us. He knows what's going to take us from glory unto glory, from faith unto faith. He knows what is best for our lives, and he's deeply in love with us. He's our dad. Isn't that cool? And I'm not talking about he doesn't forgive you for the stupid thing you did last Friday night. I'm just saying he's trying to get us to a better place. Right? And so the word of God is a light leading But it also means that our flesh will get into conflict. The nudge is light, but in order to follow, oftentimes there's an internal conflict. Like I said, sharing the gospel, morality, different things like that. I'm going to give you an example of a couple of times, a couple of um, older things that happened in my life when I first started to, my wife learned to hear the voice of God. One time we were down in a a conference down in, in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and um, we were in between services, and, and we went out to get something, and the closest thing to our hotel was a, a Denny's that was sitting there. And we walked into the Denny's, and we sat down, and, and uh, I can't remember who was with us. Was it just me and you or somebody with us? Oh, Stace was there. Stace was at the conference with us. And we were eating, and right over here at this table, there was a young couple with a young baby. And I'm sitting at the Denny's, And all of a sudden, I hear the voice of God say this. Give them your wedding rings. And I'm like, I shouldn't be this loose, but I'm like, okay, I'm I'm fine with my wedding ring. But uh, (laughs) I don't know about her. (laughs) And I hear it again. Give them your wedding rings. And I'm like, God, I'm normally just okay with sharing with share what you just said, and I got no problem doing most things, but this is a little bit of a touchy subject here. (laughs) And I said this to the Lord. I will do it, but in this case, you're telling her first. (laughs) I look over at Sherry, and I said, the Lord's been speaking something to me. She says, I know what he's saying. I'm like, you know what he's saying? She says, I'm not doing it. And so, a cool example of God speaking, two individuals, the same thing at the same time, and we're not talking to each other about what happened. And somebody's at the table witnessing it. And so finally, I'm like, I don't even believe that you know. What is it? And she wouldn't tell me for the longest time. And we left Denny's. And I am furious at my wife. And, but I guess there's a, maybe a 1% understanding. I mean, I can't make her. I'm not going to pull it off her finger. I put it on. And so that would look a little weird in the covenant. And so we're driving away, and Sherry says, stop the, stop the vehicle. And so we stop the vehicle, 
And I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, yep. And we turn around, we go back to Denny's, and we walk in, and we walk up to the table, and I said, this might sound really weird. I didn't know they were Christians or anything. I said, this might sound really weird, but the Lord just told us to give you our wedding rings. And they just looked, and tears started to come down their eyes. And the guy says, I've been working at Walmart. They've been cutting my hours back. And I have been trying and trying to finally buy my wife a proper wedding ring, and I can't make enough money to do it. And so we hand them our wedding rings, and guess what? They fit perfectly on their hands. And it absolutely was the, one of the most amazing things. Now, they ended up coming up here later, and they, they, I think they took the... Anyways, they came up, and it didn't work out for them, and... and I think they just thought because of that ring, they were bound to come and do service here and whatnot, which isn't the case. And I know God's probably doing amazing things in their lives. But in that moment, God loved those two enough. He was trying to get a wedding ring for his wife. Walmart was cutting back his hours, this young couple with this young little baby. And all of a sudden, they're wearing some really nice hardware on their hands. Now, we don't wear our wedding rings very much anymore. I think probably just because of work most. But I want to tell you something. After that... I ended up getting a wedding ring, and it was all good. But um, there was a real miraculous story that took place for Sherry to get another wedding ring that a guy had known somebody down in Vancouver that was a Jewish guy that had um, these diamonds downtown and sent me down there, and I put a huge rock on her finger for, for like just a fraction, about the same amount of money that I purchased the first ring for. And God saw all that ahead of time. And so, but the first example is when he speaks... Like, the flesh does not always agree. It doesn't. But, thank God, stop the truck, right? Right? Because we got to see God in motion. And for them, like, again, right? It's like, we all have our ups and downs in life, but nothing will be ever be able to take that moment away. Two people sitting there, and just another two people walking up and going, hey, God said. And all of a sudden, whoa, God just fulfilled their need unbelievably. So the flesh can struggle. Second thing I want to share today, many of you know this bit of this story as well, but ever since growing up, I had this phobia of birds. I did. Phobia of birds. It's to where, like, even if a budgie was flying around a house free, I would, like, freeze. And I remember being at one of my buddy's houses, and one came, landed on my head, and literally, I couldn't move. And the only thing I could think of, that if I move, I'm going to rip his head off for letting this bird do this to me. And um, anyways, it was like a complete phobia. Um, and I know how it happened as a kid and all that. It was a situation that I'm not going to get into. But I know how it happened, but it was such a phobia for me that I could be in the room, but as soon as it would take flight close to me, I'd just like freeze. And about 10 years ago, I thought, how stupid is this? This age in my life, and I'm this scared of something, this child of God, who is a child of the creator of the universe, who made all these birds, and I'm scared to death of these things. And there's nothing to be really scared of. And so a friend of mine was a falconer and put on a display 10 or 15 years ago at a corn bowl that we had had a fall fair. And I just got talking to him, and I thought, okay, you know what? If I'm going to be over the fear of birds, why not just jump in, like, head first? These birds that like eat savagely, eat meat for themselves and have these big long talons and can rip your skin apart. Why not just jump in head first? And so I did. And the first little while, it was like, I look back and I think, 
It's so stupid. I can hardly relate anymore because it's so far behind me. Because I mean, I, I deal with the Falcons and the Hawks and now the Owl like daily. And they just, I mean, it's just, does, I, I look back and I can't even relate. But I remember when he was first teaching me, he would like have fun with this. He'd have a bird here and he'd tell me to touch it. He'd go, ah! he would like jump at me and I'd like fly back. And uh, not very nice, Daniel, but that's what he would do. But eventually, just over time and me facing my fear, all of a sudden, I got to a point where it was less and less and less. And all of a sudden, like I said, I'm at a point now, I can't even relate to the fear. And it was just God leading me through the situation. But afterwards, I began to realize that, I mean, in many other things, but you begin to realize that sometimes one of your greatest enjoyments or greatest assets are often stuck in the middle of a trial or what you perceive to be a trial. And so many people never get to experience it because they're scared to walk in past that fear. And so I was reading this week, just the Proverbs 25, 2, and it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And a lot of times it's used in a negative way that, that you know, God conceals things and man tries to be God. But I think God put this inquisitiveness in us. And a lot of times we're supposed to search things out, but fear stops us from doing that. And a lot of times our greatest assets are stuck in the middle of one of our greatest fears or our greatest trial. And God didn't put the trial there. God didn't put the fear there. Something else put that fear in my life. I could have walked over that a long time ago, but it became one of the greatest enjoyments of my life for a while. I'd go out and I'd hunt these falcons and it would be the most amazing thing. Five o'clock in the morning in Glen Valley as the light just starts to come up and I put my falcon up at a thousand feet and flush a duck pond and coming out of the sky at 225 miles an hour, wham, hitting a duck was just the most awesome thing to me, watching God's creation do this. And I would have never been able to experience that had I not walked through that fear. And you know what else I was deathly scared of, which most of you are scared of, according to most surveys? Public speaking. I was scared to death. In surveys, death is three on what you're most scared of. And public speaking is above that. And so at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the funeral. (laughs) True. And so in my 20s, when I felt the unction to share the word of God, there'd be prayer meetings up in the loft on Monday nights, and I would like try my sermons out, and people would pray on their face, and Kellyanne was there a couple times too, and I'd make them put their face back down when they start to watch me. I'd be, don't look at me. And I was scared to speak. And I think, again, what if I wouldn't have walked through that? Some of you guys are probably like, I wish you wouldn't have, but no. <laughs> what if I wouldn't have walked through that? I would have been never, never even been able to figure out if I should or shouldn't. And again, sometimes our greatest gifts and our greatest assets are just stuck in the middle of what we perceive as a fear. And so I think sometimes we need to analyze what do we fear the most, not to give it glory. But man, maybe the enemy's wrapping something up that I should be going after. Maybe there's something in there. Maybe I need to be attacking this fear, not just so I can get over the fear, but maybe there's something inside of that that's going to unlock one of my greatest gifts that God has for me that I haven't been able to see. And that's my point for this morning, is I believe, truly believe, that there's some people in this room this morning, probably all of us to a certain degree or another, have these fears that something's locked up in the middle of it. And if we would open, some of us can't even hear the voice of God because we wouldn't even believe that he would get us to walk into that. 
But some of us, or more, all of us, have to go, God, no matter what. I know ago means root for agony, and I know my flesh isn't going to like this, but God, where do you want me to walk? Where do you want me to follow you? And I believe that some of us are going to walk into our greatest giftings when we pound through that fear. God says to fear only one thing, him, him. And it just means like a reverent respect is fear. And that's all fear is. It's all it is. When you're scared of something, you have a reverent respect for that. God says, just me, just me, just me. Father God, I believe in the name of Jesus that this morning is going to be pivotal for some people here this morning. I believe, God, that some people this morning are going to choose to hear you and walk into some fears that they never thought they would walk into. Some of these are going to be major, but God, we're going to trust you. We're going to face these things and walk into it. Some of it might be old, broken down relationships. Some of this might just be some phobias. Some of this might be public speaking. Some of this might be a ministry. Some of this might be a business. I don't know, God. You do. We're going to be sensitive here this morning, God, and we choose this morning, and we come into agreement that we are going to be led by you. And so we trust you, God. Lead us into all truth. Lead us into all truth. My God, lead us into all truth. I believe God has already started to deal with some of you. And I believe God is going to, over the next few minutes, deal with some things and he's going to unlock some treasure in your heart. That you're going to be able to, however long it takes, walk into it. Father, make your gospel so real to us that we burn with fire for it. Make it so real in us, God, that everything else seems so minute. Make your will burn on the inside of us.